a listener production. Okay, let's go. <gasps> Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. <laughs> I'm going to do this quickly because I really want to get to today's topic. Hello, Gistners, <laughs> and welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. And I think I know what this week's topic is going to be. <sighs> Yes, it is happening. It is finally happening. We are doing Free Britney. Yes. yes. And let me tell you, to give you just the gist on the Free Britney movement, I have spent days in the deepest, darkest, weirdest places of the internet mm-hmm. looking into this. It takes a lot of research to give you just the gist of this bizarre thing but I'm going to do it for you. Thank you so much. So many people have been sending me links where I can find the documentary and I promised I wouldn't watch I it. So even though I've been gagging to watch it, I've <laughs> I've maintained some discipline. I love this. I so confidently last week said, oh, my God, I found the official version. It's yeah. on YouTube. Like, you can just watch it on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I inadvertently uh, broke the law and watched a pirated version. Because the one, someone sent me a link and I went and looked at it and it was like New York Times presented sense, mm. framing Britney, blah, blah, blah. And it looked really official. And I was like, oh, they must have put it on YouTube. And I watched it and it was really good quality. It didn't look like one of those crappy pirated thingos. But then I found out that that got taken down like a day later and they've been constantly getting taken down off YouTube. So last week I told our listeners to go and illegally watch something. So guys, um, you're not meant to watch the dodgy ones on YouTube. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> Sorry. Is there a plan for it to come out, like, legally in Australia? I'm sure it will eventually. The annoying thing is um, stuff that it, that is on Hulu in America, which we don't get here, often, I don't know, it's weird with licensing and stuff, it takes us a while to get Hulu stuff in Australia. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, given how crazy desperate everyone in the world is to watch it, I can't imagine that New York Times presents isn't desperate to distribute it everywhere they possibly can. Mm. So I'm sure it'll be available legally here soon. Mm-hmm. But I will say in the meantime, there are several ways to access it should you wish to partake in those ways. Not that I am encouraging anything. But also, like I said in breaking news in the last episode, it's actually not that great a documentary. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's just... Um, for people who don't really understand what's going on with Britney's conservatorship, it's the first time they've heard the details of it, so it shocks them. Mm. But if you already know that she's under the conservatorship, the documentary is kind of just, like, telling you what's happened the last few years. That's it. It's nothing, right. like, there's no revelations or anything. It's just, like, yeah, she's been treated badly and it sucks. Mm. And, like, most Britney fans are just, like, yes and... We already know this. Right. So, I mean, it's an okay documentary. But well, if their mission statement was to make more people aware and make this like a major, major headline all around the world, they've achieved that for sure. They've achieved it. For sure. For sure. But we should quickly do breaking news because there's a few things that I know people are desperate for us to talk about. Breaking news. Breaking news. I got the scoop. I see extra, extra. Read all about it. It's coming down the wire. I really want to bring that back. It's coming down the <laughs> coming wire. Coming down the wire. Breaking news. Okay. First of all, we have to talk about the fact Anna Delvey <laughs> was released <laughs> from prison. And I've 
effing love that every single person who messaged me or you or the Just The Gist Instagram was like, I'm probably the millionth person to send you this, mm-hmm. but, and yes, you were. You all were, I think because you all sent it at the same time. But um, grateful that you think of us when nonsense like this comes out in the news. Anna Delvey, the New York fake German air, Russian heiress mm. socialite who we've done an episode on was released from prison and was just immediately acting like a ridiculous queen. And as much as she seems like a an awful person, I do kind of love her, <laughs> like just for pure <laughs> entertainment value. She, um, you know, immediately got out and released funny stuff on her website and on her Instagram. She's being so ridiculous to the point where you think she's being facetious, but it's like, no, she's a terrible person. So she's actually not. She's very serious. Mm. Like think people were like, is there anything you regret about the last few years? And she's like, yes, my hairstyle at my first court appearance and stuff like that. So she's like, (laughs) she's just leaning into her villainy, which is Mm. the smart move. It's what's going to make her famous. Mm -hmm. Um, She's uh, did an Instagram live yesterday which I watched a bit of, but then you and I had to go to a meeting. So um, I sort of missed most of it. I was only there when she was saying, if a thousand people come on the uh, live feed, I'll show my face. And the numbers immediately dropped by like 200. Because <laughs> I think people, like, there was only like 800 people watching and then it dropped to like 600 when she said that. And, and then apparently it suddenly cut out, which she's saying is because of technical difficulties, but other people are saying it's because she was embarrassed that hardly anyone was watching. She was expecting like thousands and thousands of people to tune in, but um, I'll have to go back and see. But as far as I know, she's not yet been deported Mm -hmm. and we'll just keep track. Mm -hmm. She seems to be living the life in New York City. Well, no matter where she ends up, she's a performance artist who has a group of worshippers and I mm-hmm. think that group is just going to continue to grow now that she's got more freedom and she's already proven herself in 24 hours to be totally prolific on social media. Like yes. she oh. wasn't timid about posting. No, I love her. <laughs> I love her. I mean, I hate her, but I love her. Love so. to watch her, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm. I think... She's actually now, ironically, getting everything that she ever wanted. She's making money off TV deals and book deals and she's, um, you know, famous. Mm. Uh, She's got notoriety. She's got recognition. I mean, she's got everything she ever wanted, just in a way that I think she didn't expect, but she's leaning into it. So Mm -hmm. it's very interesting. Can't wait to see what happens next. (laughs) We're staying tuned. And thank you, everyone, who kept sending us the updates on her whereabouts and her... Yes. Oh, well, actually, someone literally sent me a message saying, Anna Delvey's going live on Instagram right now. And I was like, what? And I went and watched it. So, like, yes, that was very helpful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Pete Evans has Uh. released a statement saying he's going into politics. He's running for a Senate seat somewhere as part of, like, some... Fringe party, that's racist. Mm. So, I don't know. I just don't. I don't, you know, who cares? I don't think he'll win. But that's not what it's about. It's just that he's starved for attention at the moment and so he needs to do something big. And the media loves to give him that platform because they know people are going to click on it. They know that they're going to watch videos about it. They know that it's something that people like you and I are going to talk about. So, I mean, he did a deranged uh, podcast interview with, what's that politician's name? Craig Craig Kelly. Kelly Yeah. 
Um, and I didn't listen to it, but I saw some quotes from it and they're just nutters and he's a nutter and he's, I mean, but it's frustrating because it's like, yes, at first it was hilarious and weird, but then he, you know, he started sharing like anti-Semitic neo-Nazi imagery. Like, so it's not, it gets to the point, it's like, no, we can't just have fun and laugh at him being a bit silly anymore. It's like, he's quite a scary, I think, potentially dangerous person and mm. uh, I wish he would just go away. So do I. And But the fact he's addicted to the media, the media's addicted to him, and so we're just going to continue to see mm. more and more of him and he's going to start doing more and more outrageous things. Running for parliament's just the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other breaking news is, yes, uh, Duchess Meghan and Harry announced they're having another baby, blah, who cares? But the next day they announced (laughs) that they're doing an interview with Oprah. It's going to be 90 (laughs) minutes long and it's coming out in March. I am so excited. They are going to spill so much tea. Do you think? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're going to, like, talk about how she's not going to do an interview with them if they're not going to say stuff that makes it worth it. Is she a heavy hitter, though? Like, does she really go for it or does she just sort of talk a lot of fluff in interviews? Yeah, there's a lot of fluff, but also she's not just going to do a fluff interview because that reflects badly on her. They're obviously not going to come out and say the Queen can get effed and shove a crown up her (laughs) bum hole, but they are going to say things about, like, you know, I reckon Oprah will probably ask about the fight, the alleged fight, fight or rift going on between him and William. They'll ask things about, you know, they can't get away with not being asked questions about stuff that they haven't talked about before. So Mm -hmm. it's not going to be like a total goss sesh, but it's also not going to be nothing. They're going to say things. It's going to like, it's going to be like Diana's interview that she did that time Mm -hmm. with Martin Bashir. (gasps) Historian. I am pumped. Baby schmaby, I want interviews. (laughs) I heard they were doing a podcast. Is that true? Oh, yeah, they've signed, like, a $150 million podcast deal with Spotify, I think. So who knows? I mean, I I could not think of anything worse than listening to, like, two super privileged people mm. talking about how woke and wonderful they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love them. I think they're cool and good on them for escaping and living their own life, but I have no interest in listening to a podcast <laughs> from them. Like, zero interest. So, oh, yeah, I just want goss. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's breaking news. And um, all right, do 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 breaking news. Okay, <sighs> here we go. This week, I am giving you just the gist on free Britney, yes. the free Britney movement. All of this. Now, I mean, it's it's. I've let me just say that there are podcasts that have done, you know two-hour episodes a week for the last five years about this stuff. So there is no telling how much detail you can go into. Like, I found series on YouTube that fans have made and there's, like, 50 one-hour episodes going into every minute detail about this. This is just the gist. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And so if you are a huge fan of Britney, there may be some things that I leave out that you're going to get annoyed, but, like, we, you know... I'm just give. I'm putting it in a neat little package. I'm giving you just the details you need to know. I'm not a crazy fan deep diving for days and days and days on this. This is not the place to get that because I can't be bothered. <laughs> so I'm just going to give you the gist of Britney, the conservatorship, mm-hmm. and what's going on. Take it away. Britney Jean Spears. Mm. 
is born December 2nd, <laughs> 1981, in Macomb, no wait, Macomb, Mississippi. And she grew up in Kentwood, Louisiana, mm-hmm. which is a tiny, tiny, tiny little town an hour north of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So this is South. This is Bible Belt. This is Evangelicals. Mm-hmm. This is country, country, country. Biscuits and gravy. Biscuits and gravy and grits, mm-hmm. et cetera. She's the second child, which has shocked me. I had no idea she had an older brother. She's um, the second child of her parents, Lynn, Mother Lynn and Dad Jamie, um, her older brother, Brian, was born in 1977, so he's four years older than her. Mm-hmm. And then a little sister, Jamie, comes along 10 years later in 1991. Mm-hmm. He used to dance in her music videos. Did he? Who? Yeah. Oh, Jamie. The older brother. You can see him in a bunch of them. He's, I mean, most visible in Oops, I Did It Again. But how do you know it's him? Uh, Are you a nerdy I think fan? it was in, like, Video Smash Hits magazine or something. Uh, yeah, I uh, was, yeah, I was into it. Yeah, I had no idea she had an older brother. So from about the age of three, Brittany is like a little superstar in her little town. Her mum puts her in dance classes and she's like astronomically talented at it, even as a toddler. She puts her in gymnastics and she's winning state competitions for gymnastics when she's only five. Mm. They realise she's a great singer, so they put her in singing lessons and she kind of becomes that kid in the town who sings the national anthem at events. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's like, our little Britney's going to be a star one day. Things aren't great at home though. Britney's dad, Jamie, is an alcoholic. And according to several accounts, including Lynn's, because Lynn has written a couple of How I Raised a Star books about Britney, mm-hmm. he's very hot-tempered and abusive and he cheats on Lynn all the time. She attempts to divorce him at one point, but they stay together primarily, it looks like, for financial reasons. He's also like a total dropkick, so he can't hold down a job. He's constantly coming up with schemes to make money, but his drinking means they never get anywhere. They're pretty much living off Lynn's income as a second-grade school teacher. Mm-hmm. But most of that money is going to pay for all of Britney's, like, lessons of dancing, gymnastics, singing, whatever. The phone and electricity is often cut off in their house. They often come close to losing their house. Jamie is physically abusive with Lynn and Britney's older brother, Brian. Like, it's all just a bit shite for Britters. And here's where it's speculated that Lynn was a stage mother who, like, forced Britney in all to this stuff as a way to, like, build a family cash cow to get them out of that that situation. She insists that that's not true, that, like, the only reason she put Britney into all this stuff is because it was clear that she loved it. Mm. And, I mean, I sort of believe her in that sense because it's like, how could you possibly know when you're putting your kid into lessons as a toddler that they're going to one day be a multi, there's going to be a multi-million dollar windfall? Mm. Like, I don't think you would ever think that and the lessons themselves were actually costing them money like they were losing money doing all this stuff for Britney so like people do say that like she was forced into this stuff as a kid but from what I can see and read it doesn't seem like she was it seemed like she loved it and her mum was working her ass off to put her into all these lessons and stuff because it's what she wanted. Yeah, she wasn't it's a commodity at that stage. No, mm. not that, not at that stage. I mean, she was a financial liability at that stage because mm. everything she did was so expensive. And it's very different from, like, the pageant world where it's just about look mm. how pretty my child is and how composed she is. She did she do is. a couple of pageants. Oh, okay, right. She, <laughs> well, she won the talent portion of them but she never really won, like, and she didn't like doing them. She just liked mm-hmm. the part where she got to do her little 
sing song and dance routines. So they realised pretty quickly that wasn't for her. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she was more about the skills and I can definitely yes. support the things where they're investing in her building her dance and singing and yes. acting skills. I mean, I've said time and time again what I wouldn't have given for a stage mother. I'd have an Oscar by now. Like, I used to have to beg my mother not to drink before my drama classes so she'd be able to drive me to them. Like, God, could you have just pushed me really hard? <laughs> be Jennifer Lawrence by now. Jesus. We all lost out because of that. So, yeah, I think, you know, she's lucky to have at least a mother. Her dad seems to just not be in in the picture at this Mm. stage. Um, But she has at least a mother who seems to really support her um, talents. She applies for the Mickey Mouse Club when she's eight years old. Mm -hmm. The producers love her, but they say she's too young and to come back in a few years. Mm -hmm. And one of the producers loves her so much that he gets in touch with this child talent agent in New York and he's like, you've got to meet this girl, Brittany. So Brittany and her mum go meet this agent. They have to drive there because they can't afford to fly. And Brittany sings for this woman and she tells Brittany's parents she thinks that Brittany's great, but she needs proper training. She's like, Mm -hmm. "You, you, like that local Louisiana dance school, it's not cutting it. She needs to come here. She needs to meet proper theatre teachers and all that kind of stuff. So that's what she does. Her and her mum move to New York. They live in a tiny little studio while Brittany goes to the professional performing arts school for children and she gets training with, like, producers and teachers. She is the understudy to Natalie Portman in an off-Broadway musical. Oh. She does some commercials. She goes on Star Search and she's so good on Star Search. Have you seen that old footage of her singing on Star Search? Not yet. I can't She's, wait. What does she sing? She sings Love Can Build a Bridge. Share. <gasps> <Cher>. Yeah. <laughs> and she's amazing. And she, that bit where she has to hit that big note, she hits hmm. it. She actually, it's, they say that later when she met with producers to make her a pop star, they got her to tone down her voice and make it more poppy and fun. But she's actually an incredibly talented singer, which you can see in this, like, clip of just Google it. It's um, Love Can Build a Bridge, Britney Spears, mm-hmm. Star Search. She's mm-hmm. amazing. She comes second, though. She doesn't win, so she's a bit devo. Mm-hmm. But then the Mickey Mouse Club calls again, and by this time she's 11, and she goes through the audition just so easily. And I loved researching this because I kept thinking back to those episodes of You're Wrong About where they're going through Jessica Simpson's memoir and oh, how yeah. and they go through the Mickey Mouse Club audition from her point of view and how Britney was just like this girl who constantly kept beating her, beating her, beating her. So, yeah, it's just interesting to think of those two things together. But she flies yeah, totally. through the Mickey Mouse Club uh, audition And it is like the most exciting thing ever to happen to her town that this 11-year-old kid got on the Mickey Mouse Club. They even have an official Britney Spears Day on the calendar. That's how (laughs) big a deal it is. And she loves it. Like, it's really hard work. She's on the show with other kids like um, Ryan Gosling, Justin Timberlake, Kerry Mm -hmm. Russell. Christina. uh, Christina Aguilera's in it. Not Jessica because she didn't get through because Britney mm. beat her. But it gets cancelled after only one season and she's Devo, but she also goes home and has pretty much what is the only normal period in her life where she's not really working. So she's in like year eight, I think mm-hmm. going into year nine. She goes to school, she has a boyfriend, she's on the basketball team. She goes to prom, which is the only prom she ever goes to. 
But she has dreams, man. She wants more. And she said later in interviews that it was nice to have those couple of years, but she was really bored. Mm -hmm. And so her agent in New York pitches her to this entertainment lawyer called Larry Rudolph. And uh, he's been working with Brandy and there's this song that Brandy decided she didn't want. So he tells Britney, record this song in a local studio and send me the tape, which she does. Mm -hmm. And he likes it. So he's like, I'm going to pitch you to some record labels and Jive Records, who at the time, you know, represented pop people and sing Backstreet Boys, all that kind of thing. They like her. And so at 16... They say, we're going to sign you to produce one song. And if we like it, we'll keep you on. And if we don't, you can F off back to Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So they fly her to Sweden to work with oh. uh, Max Martin, who if you are a pop aficionado, you know that he is, like, regarded as one of the greatest pop songwriters of all time. He wrote, you know, all the Backstreet Boys hits, a lot of NSYNC hits. Every pop singer in the world has had a song written by Max Martin. Right. He wrote Baby One More Time and gives that to Britney to record. His English wasn't that great yet. And um, the expression hit me on my beeper was like a thing kids would say in the US, like, oh, hit me on the phone or hit me up on my beeper. But he didn't quite get that. (laughs) So he made it hit me baby one more time, meaning like call me up on the phone. Right. Not realising it was like not quite coming across. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Get in touch with me again. Yes, please get in touch with me again. (laughs) Never questioned that. Yeah. So she records that with him and the record label just freaks the flip out over it. They love it. They immediately sign her on to make a whole album. And then they start playing Baby One More Time on the radio in the US and they send her off on this massive like mall tour, like shopping centres. So she's Mm. got, um, she sings uh, Baby One More Time with two backup dancers to like bored people in the food court. So she does that (laughs) for a couple of, like I think it's, she starts doing that in about November. Yeah. The song goes off. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, do you remember it at the time? There was just something about that song that Mm -hmm. it's one of those songs that the first time you hear it, the second it ends, you want to play it again. Like, you just immediately love it. It, it, Mm -hmm. It's so hard to describe to people the phenomenon that Baby One More Time was at the time. Oh, I would argue that it's still a burner. Like, that everyone has a physical response when they hear those three um, notes. Her little pop voice. Wait, how does she do it? Hold on. Oh, baby, baby. Oh, wait. Oh, baby, baby. <laughs> how was I supposed to know that something wasn't right here? So she sings like that, which she said the producers told her to do. They sent in pop, like, singers to teach her how to change mm. her voice to be more poppy. Because mm. she actually had a very deep voice that she was really good at belting out big notes. She sounded a lot more like Christina, Christina. before ah. the producers told her to change it. Mm. And so the song, she's, you know, they put it on radio without really saying who she is. They have her going around to these shopping centres. But by the time they make a video and officially release the song in the charts, just from it playing on the radio and her singing at these malls, the... um day that song is released on the charts it goes to number one like she's literally an unknown person it Mm. sells it's her album is released on january 12 so she's only been going around to these malls for a couple of months it's number one immediately it sells five hundred thousand copies on its first day day Mm. 
in stores. They send her on a tour opening for NSYNC, but she's exploded so fast that quickly they're like, you need your own tour. And so this is the crazy timing here. Her single starts playing on radio around November, December. She's singing to half-empty food courts in shopping centres. By the time the single comes out with the album in January, they both go to number one. In May, she's on the cover of Rolling Stone. And in June, she's doing a sold-out concert tour across the country. It literally happened in six months. That's how fast it was. I actually kind of remember that velocity that she was just, she didn't exist in our lives. And then all of a sudden she was absolutely everywhere. Everywhere. And in our high school, at first there was a bit of a resistance, like, oh my God, she's so incredibly lame. Um, But then within the space of a couple of weeks, Uh, everyone was on board. All of the boys loved looking at her pictures. All of the girls loved listening to her songs. That video is just iconic, iconic. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. And she actually had a big part in picking it because at first they came to her and said they wanted it to be an animated video. They wanted it to be a cartoon and she was like, absolutely not. And then they said they wanted it to be a superhero video where she was in a superhero costume and she was like, no. (laughs) And they said, well, what do you want then? She's like, how about it's just a bunch of kids waiting for school to be over, having fun in the gymnasium. And Mm. that's what they did. And she also so cute, she said she insisted that she got to do some gymnastics in the clip because she was so proud of her gymnastics. So that's where she does her little flips in the clip because she made them put them in. And if Mm. I could do effing backflips, I would make people put them in everything as well. Absolutely. So a world tour follows. She's a worldwide phenomenon. She's still, she's only 17. She starts recording her second album, Oops, I Did It Again. That comes out in 2000. That's also one of the best-selling albums of all time. She goes on a tour for that. She sings at the Super Bowl halftime show with Aerosmith. She signs a $10 million deal with Pepsi. In 2001, she records her third studio album, Britney. She confirms she's dating Justin Timberlake by the two of them turning up wearing matching double denim outfits to the VMAs uh, on the red carpet, which is iconic. Yes. That night is also, I didn't realise this was the same night, but that's the same night she does the iconic I'm a slave for you dance with the python on her shoulders. Ah, uh, right, yep. Yeah. She goes on tour for the Britney album in 2002. That's the second highest grossing tour of the year behind only Cher. <gasps> yes, she stars in that Crossroads. That was her Sherwell tour, by the yes. way. So, uh, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Fair, fair. Can't beat that. She mm-hmm. stars in Crossroads that year, which is panned by critics, but her acting specifically is actually praised. And she is actually a good actor in that movie. She is. Seriously, fight me on it. She's very good in that movie. Okay, so let's take a breath here. All of this has happened in less than mm. three years. She's only just 20. Like, mm-hmm. it's just she went from nothing singing in malls to this. Like, it just Mm. went huge. And no one was expecting it because at the time it was all about girl groups and boy bands. It was all about, like, Destiny's Child, Backstreet Boys, uh, Spice Girls. No one thought that a sync, like, they were, like, artists like Madonna. That's not ever going to happen again. Like, no one Mm. was interested in trying it. But Jive Records just gave her this song and it was just, like, this explosive perfect storm of her talent the perfect song, the perfect video, just went nuts. Mm -hmm. This is where things take a turn. It's 2002, she and Justin break up. Mm -hmm. And it's since been revealed that Britney had cheated on him with her choreographer, who interestingly later came out as one of the two men featured in that documentary who accused Michael Jackson of serious abuse when they were children. Uh. 
Yes. Uh, he's quite a famous choreographer. Mm-hmm. She says that she was just, you know, she was a kid. She was stressed. She's on this world tour. She kissed him once. It's the worst thing she'd ever done. I mean, mm. Justin was her first boyfriend. It's, I mean, it's, it happens when you're a teenager, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, Justin releases Cry Me a River in 2002, clearly uh-huh. about her and the fact that she cheated on him. And it's just, it, it makes the press turn against her. Like that is when the press really and truly turned against her. Um, mm. She's constantly getting hassled about cheating on him. He also goes on radio and like laughs in that blokey kind of locker room talk way and admits that um, she's not a virgin. He did sleep with her even though they weren't married. And so uh-huh. then the press turned against her even more because her being a virgin until she was married was like this big deal in her mm. narrative. And around this time she turns 21 and this is the first time since she's been famous that she's been been legal and been able mm. to be in control of herself. So she goes a little bit wild. Like, she has fun. She, um, you know, her boyfriend's publicly dumped her and the whole world is calling her a slut and a tramp and the press are being mean to her and she's been working mm. nonstop since she was a toddler. So she kind of cuts loose and she starts partying. She's going out. This mm-hmm. is when that... 36-hour marriage to her high school friend happens in Vegas. She gets uh-huh. really drunk one night and marries a dude in the chapel and her fam, like her parents literally send in 20 lawyers to like clean up the mess and get the marriage <laughs> And um, then at a club she meets a backup dancer called Kevin Federline. Oh. He is dating a woman called Shah Jackson who is pregnant with their second child. But he leaves her to be with Brittany. Can you please describe Kevin Federline? Uh, today or then? Then, then, then. then. Uh, from what I understand, he was quite a talented dancer and mm-hmm. he was pretty good looking, but uh, I think disagree. the problematic term that you might call him would be trailer trash. Trailer trash. White yeah. trash. Yeah. Mm. And I so, think... Um, he, you know, he wasn't really working. He had been a backup dancer um, and he immediately kind of, well, Brittany says that they met and two days later she asked him to come on tour with her. So people say that he latched on to her, but he's like, she invited me. But uh, he he kind of had this aura of being just a hanger-on, a user. He was gross. He always, like, had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and he always just looked, like, trailer trashy. And also Mm. since the press had turned on her after the whole Justin saga, this was kind of just their way of confirming that she sucks. Like, look at this horrible guy she's picked. She's trailer Mm. trash. They were mean to her. Mm. They get engaged three months after they meet um, and they're married in 2004, so she's 23. Mm -hmm. They have two children together, which makes her the happiest she's ever been because even more than ever wanting to be a star, she's always really wanted a family and she's wanted to create the kind of family she never had as a kid because her father was so awful. Mm. She buys her own engagement ring, of course, because what money does he have? She buys them a big house in Los Angeles that they can all live in as a family. But Kevin is a dick and he Mm. really wants to be a rapper and so she supports him. Do you remember when he was trying to be yeah, a rapper? I forgot about yeah. all of this. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like trying to be supportive and she uses her fame to leverage like he gets this song made and it's awful. And he goes off on tours, but I use that term very loosely because his tours are like 
basically people just laughing at him and then mm. he just went off partying without Brittany because she was at home with um, mm. their first child. And a few months after their second child is born, um, he took off like pretty much straight away after the birth to go on tour, which is really just him going out having fun on her money. And so a few months after their second child is born, she files for divorce. This is 2007 and it doesn't take long from here for her to have like pretty much what is her infamous breakdown. Mm -hmm. So they get joint custody Um, She gets the kids three days a week. He gets them four. So that means, like, for half the week she's living in this huge house that she bought for her family and she's Mm. in it by herself. And, you know, she's only young. She's in her early 20s or, like, I guess mid-20s at this stage. Mm. And she's like, you know, F this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to have fun. Mm. So the nights where she doesn't have her kids uh, is when she was doing all that partying, which if you remember back she was photographed all the time with Paris Hilton with Lindsay Lohan, Lohan, going out to Mm. clubs. She was hanging out with those socialites in Los Angeles. I mean, I guess doing the things that she would have done earlier had she not been a workhorse her entire life. Like, that's what she starts to do. And the press are hounding her now, like, hounding her. And I don't... And this is actually something that it's good to watch the Framing Britney documentary for, or if you just look up any kind of stuff on YouTube about her at this time. The paparazzi was different back then because there were certain rules about how the paparazzi are allowed to treat people didn't come into effect, I think, until around 2011. Mm. And so at this time, there were no rules about paparazzi having to stay a certain amount of metres away from you, about following Mm -hmm. you into places. So if she would go into, like, a shop, there's footage of her going into, like, a convenience store and 50 Mm. photographers come in with her and surround her. Like, she walks up to a fridge to get a drink and she's just got... A, 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 a mountain, a swarm around her. Like she'd, you know, often run into bathrooms at uh, petrol stations just to get away from them. Like, and then mm. they'd, you know, photograph her running into the bathroom at a petrol station and be like, oh, why was she going into a bathroom at a petrol station? It's like, because there was a hundred of you surrounding her. Like, it's mm. it's actually quite scary watching footage of her at this time. Like she could not go anywhere without a hundred men yelling at her and mm. with cameras in her face. Competing like, with each other to provoke a response of yes, some sort. Always, from her. always. And like just it's not the way when you see paparazzi photos now, they're from a distance. They're not allowed but like back then there was no rule. I mean I guess basically they just weren't allowed to touch her, but they mm. could literally get close enough that they were like cheek to cheek with her. Like mm. It it was, I I can't even imagine how that would mess with you mentally. Mm. And so she just gets sick of it. She gets sick of everything. She gets sick of everyone. And this is the point where she one night goes to a hair salon and shaves her head. Mm -hmm. And then she goes next door to get a tattoo done. And someone in the tattoo parlor says to her, like, why did you shave your head? And she said, because I'm sick of people touching me. I just don't want anybody touching me. Uh Then a couple days later are those really infamous shots of her attacking a paparazzo's car with an umbrella because she just got sick of them following her. And if you watch the footage, it puts it in context in a way that the photos don't. Like they're hounding her, hounding her. She's running, trying to get away from them. She can't find her car. And like, and then one of them yells something mean to her and she just picks up an umbrella and she goes like, F you guys, and just smashes Mm. their car because you'd be like, Leave me the F alone. Yeah. 
Her team insists she has a drug and alcohol problem. So her lawyer, Larry Rudolph, the guy she's been with from back at the start, and her dad force her into rehab. She leaves a few times and goes back a few times, but she keeps trying to tell them, like, I don't have an addiction problem. Like, I've been going out and Mm. having fun, but I, I think maybe, I mean, I don't want to speculate on her mental health, but it seems like looking back over it, she didn't quite have the capacity to articulate that it was like, mentally she was struggling. It wasn't mm. addic- It wasn't addiction. She didn't need rehab. She needed, like, mental health help, I think. Mm. And who wouldn't with, like, every, like, she's gone through a divorce. Paparazzi are hounding her. She's lost her kids half the time. It'd be awful. She spent 10 years being analysed and attacked by the media. Yeah. They started and I mean, talking about her boobs the minute that she did that Rolling Stone cover, which was a couple of months after she burst on the scene. Yeah, and the gross thing about that Rolling Stone cover is the photographer took all these photos with her all day with her family around, and at the end of the day he said, oh, can I, like, see your room, take some pictures of your bedroom? And her bedroom was so small that there wasn't room for everyone in there. So she Uh went in there with him alone and he convinced her to lie down on the bed, took that photo... The lawyer walked in, saw what was going on, shut it down, but not before he'd got that shot that he took of a 17-year-old girl alone with her in her room without her parents there. Oh, that's... And they they put that on the cover. I don't feel well after hearing that. So she's been exploited for years. She's been working since she was a toddler. I mean, yes, she probably is struggling mentally, but they just keep insisting that it's a drug and alcohol problem. She keeps trying to tell them she doesn't have a problem, but they keep trying to force her into rehab, which is making her really angry. And then she starts dating this guy, and he's actually one of the paparazzi who has followed her around. Does she know that? She does know that. Um, Uh She has a very complicated ambivalent relationship with the paparazzi because she's gotten so used to them being there all the time. They Mm. literally do things like, you know, they help, like, they fill her car with gas and they, like, give her directions when she's (laughs) lost and, like, sometimes she'll ask them to carry her shopping, like, but then other times they're awful. Like, she just has it. She's kind of, I think, if if you've got 100 men following you around all day, you would get to the point where you're like, okay, well, I can't beat you, so let's try and make this work in some way to make it less awful. Like, so sometimes she jokes around with them. She knows their names. Other times mm-hmm. they're awful and she tells them to get effed, but I think she's just like, well, they're here, so. Let's make know. the relationship symbiotic. Yes. Which fundamentally it is. I mean, they're helping to keep her relevant and mm. she's getting them paid by exactly. stepping out in public. Mm. But then, yeah, she starts dating this guy. She met him in a club. She didn't meet him while he was taking her photo. Like, she met mm. him in a club. Some people speculate that he, he like, was there on purpose trying to meet her. But mm. Mm. And she starts, like, talking to him a lot about how her family are trying to control her and how, like, you know, her dad keeps telling her that if she doesn't go to rehab and do the things that he asks, like, she's going to have her kids taken away permanently and so she feels trapped. And so Sam Lufty says, well, I'll be your manager. And she goes, okay. 
Mm-hmm. And this is where things get bad. So he sort of takes control of her. Her parents try to visit her at her house and he won't let them in. They say mm. in court filings later that, like, they think he was putting drugs in her food because she seems really out of it in a way she uh-huh. never has before. She starts wearing a bright pink wig. I remember this at the time on TMZ and stuff. She starts wearing this yeah. bright pink wig and talking in a British accent. Yeah. It was off-putting to watch. And Madonna was doing something similar at the time yeah. because she was living in London. So there was some sort of meme about, you know, she's yeah. just imitating her idol once again. Yes. Ah. But, yeah, so her parents just think, okay, she's lost it. She's effed. Like, she needs help. Um, her dad and Sam Lufty get into a fist fight. Um, her dad basically punches his lights out. Mm-hmm. Um, she locks herself in a bathroom with one of her kids. Like, that's all over the news. Like, everything is mayhem. And one night her her psychiatrist, who's been hired by her parents, Mm. insists that she needs to be taken in for a 5150, which is an involuntary psychiatric hold. It's where you're taken to the hospital whether you want to be or not because you're a danger Mm. to yourself or others. Mm -hmm. 20 police officers turn up at the house with an ambulance. And here's where the conspiracy starts with Free Britney stuff. So a no-fly zone had been put in place over the house, Mm. which you know, was essentially to stop helicopters getting footage of this Mm -hmm. ambulance coming to take her away. But a no-fly zone takes days of planning to put in place. Uh And so her parents said that they turned up at the house that night and she just seemed out of her mind and so they called the doctor who put her under a hold but everyone's Mm -hmm. like, no, you planned it because how Mm -hmm. else was the no-fly zone in place? Like the whole thing was planned. She does the mandatory 72-hour hold at the hospital. Her psychiatrist, again hired by her parents, then extends it to 14 days, which he has the right to do. And while she's in there, the doctors, Jamie, her father has hired, declare her GD, gravely disabled. And this is a classification that they give to people who can't, like, feed or clothe themselves. And within days of that happening, he's in the court, asking to be made conservator with her estate. So everyone's like, it just seemed like it was planned. Like the whole, Mm. like the doctor turned up at the right time, then he did this, then he did this, then he had a court date planned. And so here she is stuck in a mental hospital at the request of a doctor that her father hired. Mm -hmm. And her father, who she's never had a good relationship with, who she's been abused by and scared of her whole life, turns up in Mm. court and asks to be made conservator of her estate along with a lawyer he has chosen and his request is granted. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's where I'll tell you what a conservatorship is in case you don't know, although I think most people know after reading about Brittany. It's um, mm-hmm. generally something that's put in place for older people with dementia, people who, you know, have some kind of problem with their brain or their mental capacity so that they cannot be trusted to take care of their own affairs. Mm-hmm. And in a conservatorship, there's two kinds. You can have... You can be a conservator over somebody's estate, which means all their finances and money, Mm -hmm. or you can be a conservator over their person, which means you are in charge of doctors, what medication they take, when they take it, who they see, when they see them. You can agree to jobs or whatever. Like um, Jamie, her father, gets put in charge of both. So he gets made conservator of her estate and her person. He is now in charge of everything. Were there other people who were putting their hand up and saying, if this needs to be done, I'll do it? Or was it just 
It was just Tim with this lawyer he had hired and she didn't want this, obviously, and she manages to hire a lawyer from hospital because Mm -hmm. she's secretly called Sam Lufty who helped her. And she hires this professional estate lawyer who deals with conservatorship cases. But Jamie and his lawyer insist to the judge that because the doctors have labelled her GD gravely disabled, she doesn't have the capacity to hire her own lawyer. And the lawyer is like, well, she did hire me, though, so clearly she has the capacity because she did it. (laughs) But the judge sides with Jamie and says, no, she does not even understand what's going on here. She doesn't have the mental ability to hire her own lawyer. The lawyer has said since then he thought that was ridiculous, but he respected the court and he stepped back. So Brittany is given a court-appointed lawyer who is paid $500 an hour to represent her in all matters of the conservatorship. Jamie is paid more than $200,000 a year plus 1.5% of any of her earnings. What? The doctors that are hired to evaluate her are paid as long as there is a conservatorship, as is anybody else involved with the conservatorship. They're all paid money from her estate as long as the conservatorship remains in place. So there is clearly monetary motivation for everyone involved to keep the conservatorship going, including the lawyer who is meant to be representing her interests. Oh. Yes. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. You can all imagine (laughs) my face right now. This is all stuff that I had no idea that so many people had a financial incentive to make this happen. I thought it was just Jamie, but it's like there was this network of people that he'd brought together to pull off this scam. All hired by him, all hired by him. So she says at the time that she accepts that she needs a conservatorship, but she just doesn't want her dad to be the one running it. Like she's trying to you know, negotiate with them. Um, There's speculation that her dad is threatening her with having access to her kids taken away if she doesn't go along with it. So she does because she keeps getting told, you need to go along with this to keep getting access to your kids. And they also say it won't be forever. They say it's only going to be a year. So all this happened in 2008. Uh And as soon as she was out of the involuntary hospital stay, you know, which was 14 days in which all of this happened. So basically all of her rights were taken away from her while she was being forced to stay in a hospital against her will. Mm. Her dad puts her to work as soon as she gets out of that hospital. So he gets her making a new album. He convinces the MTV Awards to let her perform, which is way before she's ready, and this is the night she does that disastrous performance. She didn't want to do that. Like, her dad made her do that. Her new album Circus is released. She goes on a world tour. She releases a greatest hits album. She has cameos on TV shows like Will and Grace, How I Met Your Mother, and Glee. And so this is where people are like, how can you say she's not competent enough to run her own affairs if she's confident enough to make and release albums and go on world tours and act on Mm. TV shows? Mm. Like, how can you say that? But then it becomes a chicken and egg situation because every time there's a court hearing to talk about the status of the conservatorship and whether it still needs to be in place, Brittany's like, well, look at how well I'm doing. You can't say I'm incompetent if I am working and making all of you money. And Jamie is like, yeah, exactly. Look at how well you're doing. You're doing well because of the conservatorship. And if we end it, you'll just go back to 
being crazy again or whatever he ins- The thing is they've never they've said that there is mental illness involved but they've never released or said what that mental illness is. It's just mm-hmm. like unspecified mental illness they say that she had or has. <sighs> so it's kind of hard for her to argue because the judges keep siding with Jamie. The judges keep saying, yes, you are doing well because the conservatorship is working. And Mm -hmm. here's what I don't understand. Like, have someone run your money stuff short because apparently she was dangerously in debt at the time Mm -hmm. the conservatorship came into play and the conservatorship did, to be fair, turn her finances around. Like, I think now Mm -hmm. she's worth about $60 million or something. But, yeah, most famous people have someone running their finances because they don't know how to do it. And if they didn't mm. have someone doing that, they would F them up. Like, mm. So, yes, have someone in charge of the estate, sure. But why does she need someone in charge of her person? Like yeah. her dad is in charge of what medication she takes, what doctors she sees. So she has no mm. control over that. He's in charge of when she calls people, if she's allowed to call people. He monitors her text messages. He monitors her social media. He's in charge of when and if she drives anywhere. Every time she buys something from a coffee, like at a cafe to, I don't know, a pair of jeans at a shop, it's logged in a system that he keeps track of. Like, so why does she need, like, someone... She's a 40-year-old woman Well, no, but at this stage she was... um, I mean, back then when all this was happening, yeah, she was in okay. her late 20s, 30s, like early right. 30s. Mm-hmm. And what I what I just keep thinking is they keep saying that she's incompetent because, you know, she let this guy Sam Lufty into her life and she was, like, screwing up or whatever. But it's like, is, is making bad decisions, does that mean that you're gravely disabled? Like, mm. the amount of bad decisions I've made in my life especially when you're in your 20s, like how can they say that makes her gravely disabled? Like people should have the right to screw up and make bad choices, which, yes, she may have been doing and she may have like lost money or whatever, but that doesn't mean she's incompetent. Mm. Like it doesn't mean she's not able to be in charge of herself and her life. Mm. Like imagine if any parent was allowed to step in when they thought their kid was making bad choices. And go, yeah, you're not doing, you're screwing this up. I'm taking over. Mm. I mean, and for an indefinite period of time as well. Like, I've been in inpatient psychiatric care twice. Like, my PTSD got to the point where I needed to be hospitalized for about a mm. month each time. Could you say that I shouldn't be in charge of my life or my person? Like, it's, it, no one would say that about me. And do you want to know why? Because I don't have any effing money. Like, that's why. Because it's not about her being incompetent or it's about the money. They are continuing this conservatorship because of the money. Like, millions of people have been in psychiatric care for whatever Mm. reasons and you go into care and you work hard and you get better and you're fine. It doesn't mean you're incompetent for life. Like, it's, it's like the mistakes she made back then and the trouble she had after her divorce and after years of being hounded by the paparazzi, anyone would have a breakdown after that. And Mm. because of that, she's like, she gets her freedom taken away from her. It's crazy. 
Yeah. I'm, I can see anyone who reaches her level of fame, they're surrounded by parasites, right? Mm. And there would be so many people who would just be circling and circling, waiting for the opportunity where they can do more to take control of the asset. Yeah. And it's like the cracks started to appear with her because of circumstances in her life and her father was just manipulative and... Mm scheming enough to be able yeah. to come up with a plot to be able to get in get in there take control of the asset and continue to profit from the yeah. asset under the guise of protecting the asset yeah and i mean even sam lufty has when they put the restraining order against him because she kept trying to secretly call him at the start of the conservatorship so her parents took out this 3 year restraining order on him and he was like i'm just trying to help her and it's like yeah but you're no different from her dad you're just another person who wants to be in charge of it all like because mm. she's a financial, she's a cash cow. Mm. So she releases more albums. She goes on another world tour. She becomes a judge on The X Factor. That's in 2012. So the conservatorship mm. had been in place for four years. She says in an interview with MTV, one of pretty much the only times she ever mentioned it, I think about the conservatorship, she said, I think it's too in control. If I wasn't under the restraints I'd, I'm under, I'd feel so liberated. She continued, there's no excitement, there's no passion. Even when you go to jail, you know there's the time when you're going to get out. But in this situation, it's never ending. Aww. That's one of the only times she's ever commented on it. In 2013, oh. she's put into a Vegas resident residency, so she's signed on to do three shows a week for two years. Mm. She splits this with also touring the rest of the world and still the conservatorship continues, even though she's mm. competent enough to do all this work and make all this money. It's crazy. And the conservatorship just continues and people kind of know it's in place, but everything goes weird in 2019. Mm -hmm. So it had been announced that Britney was going to do another two-year residency in Las Vegas. But all of a mm -hmm. sudden, she posts on Instagram that her dad has been incredibly sick and she's cancelling the residency to spend time with her family. But mm -hmm. photographs at the time show Jamie looking totally fine. Mm -hmm. And then an anonymous call comes through to an Instagram account called um, Brit. Britney Graham, I think it's called, which mm -hmm. is an Instagram account that Britney's Graham, something like that. I don't know, mm -hmm. which, is a, which is an Instagram account that like was like following clues and talking about her conservatorship and stuff like that. This voicemail comes through to them and it's from a guy who says that he is a paralegal working who had worked for lawyers who were working on her conservatorship. And he says that Britney has been held against her will for months in a mental facility because mm -hmm. she started rebelling against her father. She started refusing to take the medication he was telling her to take and she started pushing back against him by doing things like driving without his permission. Mm -hmm. And so him being sick was a cover. The fact was they had put her in a mental health facility against her will. After this voicemail mm -hmm. was released... Her team released a statement saying, yes, she was in a mental health facility, but it's only because she was so stressed about her dad being sick and please leave her alone. She's eventually, uh -huh. after months, released from this facility and she has not seemed the same since. You can see it on mm -hmm. her Instagram, like since the last couple years, 
she's changed. Mm. Like I've I spent the last few days like going researching this and you look at interviews of her when she was 17 back when she first started. She was articulate, she was intelligent, she was well mm. put together. She could answer questions like the the hardest most inappropriate questions with grace and ease. She was so mm. good with the media. I mean, when she was a judge on the X Factor, she was witty, she was funny. She mm. um you know seemed like a strong grown woman but then something about her Instagram the last two years look I don't want to I feel weird speculating on mental health or but she seems out of it do you Mm. agree I do and I assume that experts have weighed in on this surely to sort of I don't know give some sort of I mean a lot of people say it seems like it seems like she's on she's on some kind of medication. Mm. Like she always looks tired. She always looks disheveled. She's always got Mm. these dark under eye circles. She rambles on about weird stuff. Like she often seems like she's reading messages. Mm. And I mean, here's where like, it's funny because a lot of people, like a lot of people say in the free Britney movement that, you know, um, she's not running her Instagram. Like it's clearly mm. someone else. But then a lot of other people say, no, she is running it and she's sending us secret messages like to mm. say that she needs help. So, I mean, the Free Britney movement goes into a lot of conspiracies. But, um, I mean, after that... It's very QAnon. Yes. After that anonymous call came through, that really sent... The Free Britney movement, movement had been underground it had been like only her most diehard fans would talk about it when that voicemail came out supposedly from a member of the legal team saying she was being held against her will in a mental health facility it kind of exploded in a much bigger way more people Mm. started talking about it you probably have noticed the last couple years hashtag free britney has you've seen it a lot more whereas before you probably hadn't seen it yeah She then said a few months ago that she is refusing to work anymore. She won't tour. She won't make albums. She won't do anything until the conservatorship is updated so that her father is no longer in charge of it. Mm. She said that through a statement through her lawyer. Then Framing Britney comes out last week. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, like I said at the start, it's not the greatest documentary, but I think it really is the first time that a lot of people who don't know anything about this, a lot of people had no idea she was under a conservatorship, like, or they Mm. thought, oh, you know, back then she needed it because clearly she needed help, but people didn't realize it was still ongoing. I mean, she's almost 40. I think Mm. she's what it, I think she is 40 this year. Yeah. Cause she was born in 1981. So Mm. like, why is it still in place? Why does she still need it? So framing Britney just blew it into the mainstream last week. Mm. Celebrities started talking about it. Everybody started talking about it. It was a big news story in all news websites. It's been everywhere. It's been really difficult for me to avoid. I keep listening to podcasts and all of a sudden they'll start talking about how Justin Timberlake is trash and how Diane Sawyer did Britney dirty. And I'll be like, ah, stop. Because I I didn't want anything spoiled. That's one of the great things about the documentary. It does really highlight, which I didn't super go into here because we didn't have time, but it does really highlight, um, how badly the press treated her like and it Mm. shows a lot of interviews with her that were really awful and it shows a lot of footage of like the way the media talked to her and like magazine covers where they were awful to her and and it was just horrible and yeah Justin Timberlake did come out and go oh I'm sorry like last week and everyone Mm. was like get effed you made your career off throwing her on the bus Mm. um and a few other journalists have come out and apologized for how they 
talked about her and interviewed her back then. Mm. After Framing Britney came out, there was a post on her Instagram basically saying, I read it out in Breaking News last week, it was old footage of her performing Toxic on stage where she looks amazing, and Mm. underneath she basically says, you know, everybody's living their own life, I'm taking some time for myself, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors, please just give me my privacy. And everyone was like, Britney didn't write that. It was kind Mm. of just like damage control Um, because at the same time that post was released on her Instagram, her boyfriend released a bunch of his own Instagram stories saying that, like, Jamie is a dick and he's Mm. controlling them and they want him out of her life. And so, yeah. Mm. And so that kind of brings us up to where we are now. Last week she had a small victory in that there was a hearing about the conservatorship. She wanted him removed. He wasn't, but she did get a win in that a firm who handles conservatorships that she wanted to at least be made co-conservator were made co-conservators. So now her father and this firm that she chose are running it together, which Uh is at least a step in the right direction. That's positive news. I watched it. There's so many videos on YouTube of lawyers breaking down all the legal side of things. And most of the lawyers' stuff I watched, they all said it's going to happen in baby steps. Like that's the first baby step. Then maybe it'll get to a point where the firm is like he her dad's no longer in charge of her person they're in charge of her person and mm-hmm. but he's still in charge of the finances then like it's going and then maybe he'll be given less control and mm-hmm. they'll get a bit more and that like it's just going to happen bit by bit by bit by bit but it's they speculating on a timeline at all no one will speculate everyone just says this stuff happens very slowly apparently it's much harder to get out of a conservatorship than it is to get into one because right. this is a very Most ways, like to put it bluntly, conservatorships end is when people die because conservatorships are put in place when people are old, when they have dementia, when Mm. they can no longer manage their own lives. So this is a very unique situation because she's only 40. So, you know, it's I don't think there's a lot of precedent involved in conservatorships like this coming to an end when someone Mm. is, you know doing okay and doesn't Mm. need it anymore. But like Mm. I said before, there's a lot of people who stand to make a lot of money off the conservatorship remaining in place. And so that's what the Free Britney people think. Like it gets Mm. very conspiratorial. A lot of them think that, you know, she's being drugged, she's being held like a prisoner, she um, is sending them coded messages saying she wants to be freed. Mm. And, you know, I read this really interesting article that I'll put in the show notes. It was in Slate. This guy watched Framing uh, Britney and he said, you know, he he found it a bit icky because he feels like the the Free Britney people, some of the more obsessive ones, are just as obsessive about her and her life and treating her like this kind of abstract object and not a human being the same way people Mm -hmm. have done always and what they're doing is just as bad and unhealthy as what, say, like terrible media did years ago or what the paparazzi do. Like, because some of these free Britney people speculate about, like, insist that, you know, insist she has certain mental health things wrong with her, just basically, like, build a narrative about her. They have no idea what she's thinking. Nobody knows Mm. what she's thinking. Mm. Nobody knows what's going on. Mm. Like, nobody knows whether her dad is keeping her prisoner if she wants to escape. I mean, the only reason I think that she um, wants her dad removed and that she's unhappy with the situation is because that's going off 
court filings that she's made through her lawyer. So those are things we know that she's said and asked for. But in mm. terms of some of the crazy things these Free Britney people are speculating, it it's almost as icky as what other people have done in terms of obsessing about her as not even really a real person. Right. Just constant objectification yeah. as she's very much accustomed to after, what, 20-something years of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is so, so much messier and stickier than I realised. Yeah, it's gross. And thank you so much for unravelling it like that <laughs> in such an easy-to-digest way. I'm absolutely dying to watch the documentary now and take a bit of a deeper dive. Yeah, like I said at the start, Britney stands. I know you're going to... I left a lot of detail out, but that mm. is just... That's the general gist. But, yes, there is certainly so much to be deep-dived there. Like, mm. I had to skip over a lot of minute stuff to give you just the gist, but um, there's so much that you could, like, oh, my God, the rabbit holes I've gone down. Mm. <laughs> I'm so excited to just finally be blurting this out of my body. You did such a great job. And, look, I thought <laughs> I knew a bit about it, but I had not even begun to scratch mm. the surface of what was going on with this. Yeah. And already I felt bad and felt like I owed Britney Spears an apology that I walked out of her circus concert and told oh, everyone it's rubbish did. and she's, um, you know, she's had it, she's over, she's done. I had no idea what was going on. None of us did. No. And so we all willingly participated. I know that I was actively buying Who magazine and NW magazine oh, around too. this time and we would talk about it all the time We would sit there at breaks. drama school at lunchtime, yeah, just fucking mm. talking about it, like... Every time, like, those pictures of her with the umbrella shaving her head, oh, my God, me, you and Tony would gossip about it for hours. Mm. And cackle. We oh, would, absolutely At her laugh. misfortune, we found yeah. it so funny because it was fed to us as humour and yeah. we accepted this is humorous to yeah. laugh at someone's misfortune like this, obviously unaware of what was going on behind the curtain, which makes me feel so icky. I know, and, I mean, I guess... <sighs> I don't even know where I've kind of landed with it. I do I do think that she probably needs help running her estate, her money mm. and her financials, but also I think... So do I. Yes, yeah, so do I. Like <laughs> the mess I've gotten myself into financially because I have no idea about anything. Like, And imagine having gazillions of dollars to keep track of. Everybody probably mm. needs that. I don't... I, I mean, I don't think she seems to need it personally like I don't think mm. she needs someone in charge of her person the way that her father is but then you watch those Instagram videos and you're like she doesn't seem right but then does she not seem right because they're keeping her drugged up it's like there's all there's always mm. all these like but what if and what if and what if and then I go oh and now I've now I'm just just obsessing over her the way other people do shouldn't we just leave her the f alone but also she has kind of said that she wants out of it and she needs help and she wants her own freedom, so maybe we do need to be talking about it in order to, you know, make some change, like affect some change. But then, oh, <laughs> I, just, I can't. I just, I, I don't know. I, I think I do personally think she doesn't need it. Yeah. I don't think she needs it. And I think whenever there is that much money involved, people are going to be trying to exploit it and profit off it. And I do think that that's what mm. her father's doing. I think probably the most positive thing that could happen is some kind of completely objective, yep. like firm legal operation is put in charge of it. 
who mm. has, other than getting paid to do it, has no stake in it continuing. Yeah. Like mm. a firm for which it's a job that if they didn't have it, it wouldn't affect them financially. Like for her dad and a lot of the people he's hired around this conservatorship, it is their mm. only income. So yeah. once it ends, he's got nothing. Yeah. They've all got nothing. Yeah, and who's going to hire him after this anyway? Ew. <laughs> um, no one. Yeah, I think definitely they need to shine a light on this. Too much has been happening in the dark. And, yeah, yeah it, there does need to be some sort of That's another transparent thing. She, process. She has fought to make all the court stuff transparent, but he fights back against that. And mm-hmm. he says that he's doing it because there's stuff in there about her mental health that she probably doesn't want people to know. But she's like, I don't care. Let them know. I want everyone to see what you're doing. Mm. But then he gets to make decisions like she she doesn't get to make any of her own decisions. So she can't. Mm. I mean. It's yeah. such a messed up system. It is so bad. No isn't person it? should ever be able to control someone Not that like closely. That. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, last week she managed to get that firm made co-conservator and the lawyers that I've listened to talk about it say it's just going to be, if she ever does get out of it or at least get her dad taken off it, it's going to be a slow process. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be like everyone watched Framing Britney and next week it's all going to change. Mm. I also, oh, just quickly, um, I was listening to Eat, Pray, Britney, the podcast oh, yeah. that is obsessed with her. And I listened to the episode where they talk about their reaction to the Framing Britney documentary. And it'll be interesting to look out for this. But they speculated that in the next few weeks, Jamie is going to go on the counterattack. And there is going to be a lot of stories coming out about Britney and about her being mentally unwell, about her being unstable, about, Mm. you know, bad things that she's done to make it seem like the conservatorship is needed. And he Mm. has in the past had a very close relationship with TMZ. Whenever there's been stories about the conservatorship being too strict or like her not needing it anymore, TMZ has suddenly published stories about her mental incapacity and how she needs it. What and a coincidence. So the Eat, Pray, Britney girls have said, look out on TMZ, look out in other places, because mm. over the next few weeks to counter all this, like, press where people are saying, free Britney, oh, my God, this is crazy, there's very conveniently going to be some stories coming out about how she is mentally unwell and mm-hmm. needs to be taken care of. So I'll be interested to see if that, I mean, they are two of the most fervent fans who speculate deep into this Mm. conspiracy-free Britney stuff. But Mm. I do think, like, I know how publicity works and how press works and how people pull strings behind the scenes. I think it'll be interesting to see if that actually does happen. Yeah, well, no doubt you'll keep us posted in breaking news each week. So I shall. We look forward to the updates. Oof, that's it. That was quite... (laughs) A ride. Thank you so much for doing that. Oh, my God. It's just been in my brain for weeks. I bet. And I'm sure you dedicated a lot of time. I hope that didn't just come naturally to you, that you could do Britney's voice far better than I even do Cher. (laughs) Oh, baby, baby, how was I Listener.